Okay. Now we're back at it. It was really fast. I don't know that I made any points yet. I think it was uh, cool. We covered, I think, a uh, nice co uh, wide coverage of ideas. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought it was, I, I like how when you have 42 minutes, what are you going to cover? You know, I feel like it was a kind of a nice gamut of stuff there. Well, sometimes Some it feels more like it, it's a longer, but the, the point that I also learned I mean, so that's the thing, like there's lots of different sources and you need to read lots of different opinions to get an idea of things. But um, the time was really, um, so like the theater was a spectacle and so it wasn't necessarily super refined. And so at theaters, oftentimes they're, they're trying to make money and it's a spectacle. They have bear baiting you know, where they have animals fighting and this kind of stuff too. And, and so um, it's so interesting that, uh, that, you know, they're trying to make money. It's a business, but then you, I think, you know, it, it's, it's analog definitely is film. Like there are films, like things that explode and they're fun, you know, that have very little value, but then there are the, you know, you can have really like your, you're Kubrick who, who somehow is able to do it all, you know, like you have high art and then entertainment at the same time. But the interesting thing was, and I guess I didn't realize this, how, um, and this is how Hamlet might convey the time, this, uh, the idea of indecision and not knowing what's going on so much or uh, what to do had to do with like this Catholic Protestant, you know, schism where they had monarchs where they were flipping back and forth a little bit and things were not super settled. Um, I, I don't know enough about uh, uh, English history to keep a lot of those monarchs in my head, but I know that there was a lot of intrigue. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it was, it was a grisly time where public executions and you've got, heads on pikes on the, you know, the London bridge and this kind of stuff. Um, and at that point in time, when Shakespeare is writing, you're not, it's not okay to be Catholic, but uh, Greenblatt was saying um, that some of the stuff might be, so like there was a document that his father signed this Catholic thing. And so the ghost could be from purgatory and all the Catholic rituals the masses for the dead and all that stuff was gone, but they still felt like they needed something. They needed some way to mourn the dead. Like the idea of purgatory was still this thing and all that stuff was gone. And so like, that might be why the ghost is saying, remember me, you know, like the ghost is potentially Shakespeare's father. Right. Um, but it's so interesting because it's, it's his role. Like, he played that role on the stage. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's something that uh, Harold Bloom talks about a lot. Well, and Joyce talked about that too. Like, like uh, yeah. Um, but then it's mixed up with his own the death of his own son because it's the same name, basically, yeah. of his son. Yeah, that, so that's so weird because the name. Um, 
like I said, the name continues back, like so far back. And but is it just coincidence that his his son almost has the exact same name? Like what? And and then his he both his, his sons his twins after the neighbors. So Judith apparently Judith and Hamnet were named after some neighbors. Weird. Okay. And so and, it is just a coincidence, but like like you know, kind of in the arena that we like to play, it's like I don't know. Is there coincidence? Well, it's the arena that, that Joyce likes to play in too, and 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 Harold Bloom, right? Like that's the uh, it's such a huge thing for uh, for Joyce that that kind of coincidence. Um, but then, well, so, like I thought about the Joyce chapter after this, and I think like my thought, I had every intention of like getting back into like redoing that chapter before we met, but I don't know why I went down the David Foster Wallace rabbit hole. So I haven't, I haven't, but I have thought about the Joyce and I think like Joyce is, he's interpreting Shakespeare in a way that he interprets or how his interpretation of Shakespeare is how we should read Joyce. Like he looked really deeply at like Joyce brothers names and this kind of thing to look for clues on how to read Shakespeare yeah, he's a sink head, right? Like he's he's doing a sink reading of of Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> but by understanding how he reads Shakespeare, it's like, oh, this is a key to how to read Joyce too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So this is an interesting part. This is a book on uh, on Ulysses, um, New Bloomsday book, and this guy makes a great point. It says Joyce puts himself in Ulysses as both father the ghost father and son, right? Right. So, uh, and then Shakespeare puts himself in Hamlet as both ghost father and son. God enters his own world as holy ghost and as son. So, so God's doing that as well with, with the, 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 the ghost, the holy ghost and, and Jesus, right? As son, God is crucified, then raised up by the father. And this too is to be the pattern of Stephen's day. Joyce's created world, Ulysses, is like God's world, a world which one explores, seeking a pattern and meeting, finding clues and threads which hint at an overall design and purpose, and ultimately realizing that it is a world into which its own creator has entered, in which he has suffered, and from which he has been raised up. <laughs> so, the, so parallel between um, Ulysses, Hamlet, and then the Christian world, basically, the, the, the whole Christian story. Well, th um, that, it made me think of, so I, I kind of want to look at The Tempest now, because that's like one of the last plays he wrote, and it has a lot of the same elements as some of the other ones with like, there's kind of like a play in the play, and there's different in, like family intrigues. But I think Shakespeare's thinking more about retirement in some of the last stuff that he did and like so he's the Shakespeare character would be the the magician you know and I think he he breaks his staff and throws his book in the in the water Prospero yeah throws all of his books away right he apparently Prospero is is modeled after John D the wizard oh, you know interesting which yeah. which is which is amazing you know like a um have you seen that movie Prospero's books I think so, 
but oh, I that's, don't that's remember such it. a wild interesting movie like that's the i think that's the best shakespeare movie i've seen you know um but that yeah that's that's, that's is that's it excellent. a 90s movie um one peter greenway 1991 yeah, yeah peter just, greenway yeah like amazing stuff um i'm gonna watch that thanks for the wreck i'll i'll, I'll, I'll drive right into this yeah it looks beautiful just yeah, it, it, that's that's another thing it is it's such a beautiful film to, to watch as well okay wonderful i love that i just want to quickly add about d you know did you guys know this this writer this kind of media guy jason louv he's been popular maybe the last couple of years uh, around john d you may have had him on 42 minutes i'm not sure but he's got he had a book called john d and the empire of angels is that the title of his book and one of his main theses is um, that John D is part of a colonial project, that it's actually this vision, this magical vision of the court around Queen Elizabeth to kind of bring this one, basically one world government of its time, new world order of its day, right? And the idea is that um, English is a, is a huge part of it. And I, and I think that, you know, you think about the King James Bible codifying that, then you can control the religion, codifying the language through Shakespeare, the myths, you might say, of the time. It's like myth making as a as a, we know how core that is as a strategy to control modern, the myths. Modern, um, modern just a just yeah. a side note in modern Japan, that's they did that in the Meiji period, which is not too long ago. Right. Like they collected up all these uh, uh, myths from the Kojiki and the Nihon Shoki and, and directly um, grafted that on. It was sort of loosely before, but they sort of directly grafted that on to the myth of the emperor, like as as yeah. as, as the sun lineage, right? And so, yeah. yeah, that's it's continuing to happen even even last hundred years and even now. So even even now, and I just I was just watching. This is the main point I was I wanted to make here was that this is we're talking about the Roman Empire actually in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare's Ovoir there's something he, where there's an obsession with that Titus Andronicus. You have the work of, um, of uh, Joseph Atwill, and he claims that the writers, whoever Shakespeare is, um, it was aware of some of the machinations and the kind of moves that happened during uh, the early Roman Empire. But I've been, I just watched document. I've been watching documentaries. This is the rabbit hole I've been on about um, um, the creation of Christianity as a Roman religion through the emperor Constantine. And it's the same things, Nor, I'm glad you mentioned the Meiji Empire because they appear to um, graft several extant um, belief systems, including Mithraism, which was popular mm -hmm. amongst the elites. And they kind of combine Mithraism uh, and then the, the, the Christian religion, which was so popular amongst the lower classes. And they kind of merge it symbolically and then it becomes the religion of the empire. And so, yeah, that's a great example, um, Znor, uh, with the, the, just this another example of this, of this process by which to govern, you control language and stories. That might be the way to say it. And I think we're clearly seeing that here with Shakespeare, um, in my view, would be my best guess. But if you set all that aside, I just want to say I really liked the story. I liked how emotional it was. I liked oh, how... I felt the grief of Hamlet. I felt his grief, you know, and I felt that his mom, like, like, you know, she basically sacrificed as the old man. You really dislike the mother. I, I, I didn't, and I don't have, I guess I have mommy issues, but you know, it's like this, this kind of way that um, people can be cast aside 
for power and that, you know, what is true love and Hamlet's got a broken heart and, and Ophelia's got a broken heart. And it's just, well, maybe it's, she's so, just too practical though. So like, I don't know that I blame her cause I don't know that like she wasn't necessarily privy to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a question if she's in the know or not. And it seems like she's not, she, it yeah. seems like she doesn't know, but, uh, but she's she's consenting. I mean, it's like by her choosing, she's wrapped I mean, so up like in it in a way. They, she she, she they, gives they use her. the same meats for both the like that's the the one of the jokes that he says to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is that's the same. It's the same spread that they're using for both the funeral and then the wedding. Yeah. But yeah. it, and she, and she drinks the poison, right? Like she Gertrude drinks the poison. So that's a question too. Did she know it was poisoned? And no. was she trying to? It, oh, that that's a question. That's a question. It is a question. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like a, a. Is she trying to save Hamlet in the end? You know, uh, uh, which is interesting. So. Well, it feels to me like she gets wrapped up with the doubt, the evil, kind of the the you know, and, and so knowingly like, or unknowingly. Say... She's, she's Did you guys watch the it. Macbeth, the new Cohen brother Macbeth? No, no. I saw scenes and I was really impressed. I, I couldn't stomach it uh, after watching Hamlet. I was like, I can't do another Shakespeare. But I saw some of the talk about beauty and photography. That thing is amazing. God, because so that one is really dark and and swirling, and you wonder what in the holy hell is going on there. But like I would say, you guys need to watch that because mm. they do he. He does a really nice job of making it kind of eerie. Yeah. 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 This sure. is something that uh, Harold Bloom talks about too. Like, like Hamlet is, uh, I think the longest play that Shakespeare wrote. Um, and then Macbeth is one of the shortest. Yeah. Um, so it's just like a, yeah, like just a jam packed kind of like, and then, and then it with moves really fast. Like, and then, and then in Hamlet, it's like, uh, most of the lines in Hamlet are coming from Hamlet himself. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot. His or Polonius. <laughs> Polonius <laughs> talks, but it's, it, Hamlet just goes on forever, right? Like a, um, there's so many soliloquies of, of, of Hamlet himself, you know? Um, but uh, no, I, I just wanted to, this is an interesting part too. It's like, a, this is also from Hamlet's Mill, but he's going back into the, uh, or the, these authors are going back into the, the roots of the name. So the name Amleth, or it's called Amlodi, and then Middle English is a version and Irish is a version. It stands always for simpleton, stupid, like unto a dumb animal. Um, so this is, this is the sort of meaning of Hamlet right from the beginning. And that gets linked to, there's another author, um, who writes a story of uh, Lucius Junius Brutus. And that's, it's another parallel story. It's an, even an older story, like a, an old Roman story. And, and Brutus is, is another, like, obviously it's another name for brute or brutal or animal, you know? And so this, this uh, character Hamlet gets linked to Brutus and that gets um, referenced in Hamlet. Like that's, um, there's a few times within Hamlet where they talk about, Julius Caesar, like even Polonius played Julius Caesar, and he was he, Polonius says he got stabbed by by Brutus, and then and then Hamlet makes a joke, oh, it was brutal to stab you, you know, but but th there's just this parallel between those two. So back to um, what you're saying, SJ, of this this wider kind of like historical 
conspiracy. I think that it, it really taps into that. Um, who knows how directly or, or, or not, you know? Yeah, I mean, we see it to our day and age, in our current day and age where you have clearly on the dollar, there's all kinds of Roman symbols and you have the Egyptian obelisks in the major cities, kind of like Scott Onstott, insert Scott Onstott here, mm -hmm. who was involved with the sync book at, at around the time. I think you were mentioning some of the stories you were telling earlier, Doug. I think Scott, did you get to meet Scott Onstott ever? Did, did you? In Olympia. Wait, okay. I don't know if I went. <laughs> I don't know if I met him or not. I don't think I did. <laughs> no, the answer is no. I don't think so. Uh, but you know, even if it's just a conspiracy of ideas, let's say, and there's just people that that there's something with a chain of like, you know, um, symbols that people in power like to kind of defer to or give over to. Maybe even if it's just a marker of I have power now, you know. But. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I was just going to say this gets into our perpetual conversation too. It's like the the uh, the um, uh, the difference or and the similarity between occult um, conspiracy and then and then sync or whereas sync is tapping in, I think, to these deeper myths that the occult conspiracy uses um, to 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 gain power, right? Um, and so it's not as if they're manufacturing these myths. They're, they're taking these myths and using them because they're potent and then, uh, and, and then using them for propaganda purposes. Like even that, that example, uh, which I said about Meiji Japan, um, these myths in the Kojiki actually do exist and they didn't really change. They, they edited them, I guess, but they didn't really change them that much. Um, and they use these, they use these myths for their, for their power, um, so that's an interesting, I think that's uh, like, it's an interesting way of, of uh, dealing with power or maybe a, a new type of activism, which I always, this is, I, this is what I always thought sync could be, is, um, is tapping into these myths, not sort of rejecting, um, rejecting it just because it's used by the occult conspiracy, but tapping even further deeper into these and then, and then going beyond it, you know, like a, um, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I, I just, just to say, um, I think, so I want to go back to what you said at the beginning, there's nor about the astrological tie-in. I mean, you can go to your Google, your search engine of choice and type in Shakespeare astrological reference, um, or King James Bible astrological reference. And it's just replete with uh, you know scores and hundreds and thousands of references to the astrological worldview, and so we're kicked in here now to something um, called astrotheology as maybe mm -hmm. a foundational motivation for like the Roman Empire or the Bible itself or the Jesus story, the Mithras story, where you're talking about the death and birth of the sun that happens every day, you know, um, and and so if if you are tapping into some kind of fundamental matrix of reality, you know, the kind of engine of reality, it would be the solar, you know, these stories that have emerged, you know? And so I don't think it has to be as much of a cult as a, a cult conspiracy, though. I think those exist, but it's more of like, you would want to tap into the very substrate of existence as a way yeah. to ride that for your power. And you see it in with Hitler. And I don't mean to bring this up to just like destroy a conversation, but 
you know, Hitler and the Nazis were like, oh, uh, we're going to abandon Christianity and revert back to some kind of proto-Christian faith, but it was solar. It was the same idea. You know, you have the sun and, the, mm-hmm. and you have Swastika the, is a solar symbol. Right. So, and the black sun and the idea right. is kind of, uh, you had the 12 disciples in um, Himmler's castle. There was like the council of the 12 around the sun, you know, so there's no escape this stuff. I mean, you're going to basically revert back to it one way or the other. And I believe because it's the substrate of reality, there's actually yeah, no way yeah. to escape it because that's what reality so is. That kind of leads into that thing that I said, let's put a pin in um, archons. So archon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I told you that I went down a David Foster Wallace rabbit hole because I mean, clearly David Foster Wallace is winking at Hamlet. And so there was more going on with my mind as to why I decided to read all of Infinite Jest from April 1st to Easter. Um, so can I just interrupt you a quick question? Is uh, I was wondering about pale, the Pale King. Yeah. Yeah. Is that also a Hamlet reference? Is that no. a reference to the, the ghost? <sighs> I wanted I wanted it to be Dave himself. Um, no, as you, far you as sh- I can tell, the okay. Pale King is the guy who's running the IRS center that all these characters are at. Yeah, I, I just wondered if he if that's in the back of his mind in the same way that Infinite Jest is in, in, the, in the back of his mind. He's, he's thinking of Hamlet. I, um, there's so little like I I just ordered a book, and so maybe. I'll be able to answer that, but um, there's not like, there's so much scholarship on infinite jest and there's just not very much on uh, pale King. So I found this, I, after I'm reading infinite jest, I'm, I'm trying to answer some of those questions that we had. Like you had one question on the podcast, you know, why Walpurgis knocked, you know, what, why, how does that do anything for the plot? Mm. And that was kind of a stumper for us and still a stumper for me, but I think I have an answer for you. Um, I think it's just a wink at Faust, maybe that they're on the mountain. I don't, I don't know why it would Marath, Marath and Steeply on the mountain, you know, on while well, Pergus knocked, like I can think of no other reason. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It's, it's, it's Faust. But uh, I think you asked me that in the email at some point. Like uh, we were talking, you asked me about um, uh, um, crying of lot forty nine, right? And I said something about that. It's Walpurgis well, Nacht. Yeah, um, that <laughs> you, in the right. So we did that book before, and and you said we were talking about um, symbols, like how symbol dense the crying of lot forty nine is, and you said it's a Walpurgis Nacht meaning and so i thought that was really strange yeah so i i um so that comes from from Goethe as well from faust and then uh, also thomas mann's the magic mountain um there's a walpurgis Nacht scene and even even from ulysses like tzertse is walpurgis Nacht. um and then there's even a book by uh this is a wild book if you guys get a chance by uh gustav meyrink who um, Carl Jung read and loved, and, and he, there's one book uh, by him that's called Walpurgis Nacht. His most famous one 
Um, Mayrink's most famous one is uh, uh, the Golem. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, but that one is excellent. Well, Pergasnacht is is amazing. Um, all of his books are great. Like it's just it, and 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 he was involved in the uh, the Order of the Golden Dawn. You know, like a, um, and he was a banker. Like he, he very interesting person. Um, but anyways, yeah. So it, I um, this idea of Walpurgisnacht. It's just it's it it's perpetual throughout literature. You know. Well, so this this essay that I found started out like it felt like a literary essay. And the interesting thing as I was reading along is that, um, so he, he, he wrote it like the book. And so there's footnotes and it's super annoying because you end up having to, you end up having to have two browser windows side by side. <laughs> so that, um, he did it on purpose, but it, it feels more academic at the beginning. And then all of a sudden it drops into this thing where um, like he's talking about Jason Horsley's brother. Which oh, I wow. didn't, yeah. He, he's a guy who crucified himself in the, himself in the Philippines. Philippines. Yeah. 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 But apparently, according to this essay, Jason Horsley's brother was very wealthy. Like he was doing drugs with all kinds of fabulous people in New York. Um, the guy who wrote the essay was a roommate of this writer named Christopher Moore. Um, oh, yeah. But he basically, towards the end, you realize um, that this guy's got this whole theory of archons and how the only literature that really gets a, <laughs> a big, like, uh, advance has to do with something that has like mental like even though david foster wallace is crafting this infinite jest to you know to help people with addiction or to understand addiction like the idea that because it's about addiction it's gonna it's it's going to like it's something the arm uh, archons are green lighting you should talk to Alex uh, Fulton because he's got a whole, his crypto-cubrology theory actually rests on the idea of like Kubrick is a chief archon and was writing Infinite Jest and that there's these kind of other actors outside of space and time that can kind of participate in the uh, art making. So there's this, there's this kind of, and I, I'm, I, he could have a different idea by, by now and I might not even be conveying his original idea, but there's this, this kind of archonic creation of art and artists say i was just taken over and i wake up and there's the manuscript on the table and yeah it's my handwriting mm -hmm. but i'm not sure mm -hmm. what happened and you know so this kind of idea is is um but there are uh, wraiths all over david foster wallace's work so that's kind of interesting because he does introduce the idea of ghost words you know don gately is laying in bed and all of a sudden these words he doesn't know are popping into his head well this is this all gets back to to this idea of melancholy, right? And, that, and that's one of the ideas in melancholy. Like uh, Agrippa, he talks about, um, he references this book by, it's supposed to be by Aristotle. It's not, but um, it's, it's an old, it's an old book, an ancient, an ancient text. He's in, in this book, um, Aristotle is saying that uh, most of the people who are involved in the sciences um, have this 
inspired prophetic type of melancholy that they tap into. And, and, and that's what creates, the, it turns them into poets, it turns them into scientists, it turns them into uh, prophets and philosophers. Um, and so, uh, yeah, with Yeats again, with, with Francis Yeats, um, she's saying that that whole sort of literature and art about melancholy in the, in the Renaissance, um, especially like most famously is that, is that, uh, that print by Durer, you know, like the Melancholia one, I think it's a Melancholia one or something. Um, do you, do you guys know that time? I'm, I'm sure yeah. you know that. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was the, uh, that was a, a big influence on the, on the movie Melancholia as well. Right. Like, a mm-hmm. um, but this, the, yeah, this idea of this kind of possession by, by melancholy, and that all true artists have this sort of melancholy uh, sense, which is Saturnian, right? It's um, Saturn is 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 their uh, is their god, basically is is the god of of uh, of these melancholic artists, in, including people like like Stephen Dedalus, right? Like, um, so Stephen Dedalus is obviously Hamlet. He's wearing black all the time. He's he's uh, in in. Uh, in Ulysses, he's mourning the death of his mother, but in a, in a sense, he's he's also mourning the the loss of his own father. Um, so there's kind of a direct parallel with Hamlet, who's melancholic, wearing black, um, super intellectual, um, way into his head. Um, yeah, this 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 whole melancholic archetype that which goes way way back, way back. And just to say here, I, I wanted to mention this earlier. The this is an astrological technique and it's probably straight out of a grip a very popular in the medieval and like um, late you know 900 1000 1100 1200 this era of astrological practice where you can actually calculate temperament it's called temperament and there's four temperaments and you you know um you you use certain techniques to say well this chart is more of a melancholic temperament and they have whole it's not a technique i use very often but it's def. It's certainly well more more than simply. Oh, he's sad. It has a whole thing, rich thing um, that you're. I think you're probably. I imagine what you're describing is what it is. I can. I'll, I'll get. A, I'll get an article up here and I'll read this to you in a second from the astrological community, medieval astro, medieval astrology, and try to find a quote here about this melancholic temperament. But it just underscores that this is a complex idea that's grounded in these kind of. Um, that you know higher level calculations and it's part of a a division of four that that you can divide personality into and melancholy is one of the most is one of the you know four important temperaments right, right. so yeah there's um like if you look at that uh that dur picture um it's 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 interesting just to bring it up and look at it it has so much symbolism in that uh, in, in in that picture you know it's like a um and uh, yeah, the whole exactly what you said, like the whole magic um, involved in in basically yeah, bringing down influence from Saturn. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Yeah, that's extremely famous. I, I forgot what um, modern artists, but people have like written whole books about Albert Albrecht Durer's Melancholia. There's apparently like a cult truths that he coded in. Uh, yeah, this, yeah. This, this, he's he, he's got a magical square. I think it's the. I'm I'm just looking through Agrippa. 
but I think it's the square of uh, Saturn. Maybe that would make sense. Um, uh-huh. We need a we need oh, David Plate. One, need two, David three, Plate four. On you. It's a four by four magic square. That's yeah. um, let's see. Uh, that's easy because once you know the four by four, it gives you. Um, it will oh, give you... Uh, yeah. Here it is. It's Jupiter. Ah, so maybe yeah. So if it's four, it's four by four, is it? So the, yeah, the, it's, the it's, one it's of, Jupiter. It's Jupiter. Yeah. The one of Saturn is three by three. So that makes sense that he's got Jupiter because Jupiter, if he's trying to get out of his melancholy, right? Um, he would try to get the influence of Jupiter, Jupiter the jovial, right? And so uh, that's sometimes what, what would happen as well. Is, is you, you try to... Uh, balance the stars so the the balancing factor for uh, saturn would be jupiter yeah or you know paradoxically sometimes they they're really related to each other and it's a whole complex thing but yeah jupiter and saturn and how similar they can sometimes be you know a lot of times mm. truth hurts you know the jupiterian truth actually um, you have to grieve them you know because um, you know, it's like the, 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 what's, what's the, the idea here um, in the Bible, if you see God, you would die, you know, that's, that's, right. yeah, yeah. it's too profound. It's what Leonard Cohen says, the awful truth that you can't reveal to the ears of youth, except to say it isn't worth a dime, you know, but this is, this is a kind of Jupiterian quality as well. And, and Jupiter and Saturn are like inextricably linked in terms of the um, cycles of reality that are important to these people, you know, in this era and even our current era. I've talked a lot about that here, but mythologically as well, of course, you know, it's like they're, they're yeah. both kings of the gods. Um, um, yeah. Jupiter supplanting Saturn, which is this is the interesting part is that Saturn, yeah, we have this idea that Saturn um, causes melancholy. He's sort of a dark god, right? Um, because he was he was thrown into the underworld when when Jupiter took over, right? But uh, but the Saturnian age in, in, uh, throughout the classical period was the golden age, you know, that, that, that was yeah. the golden age. And so this is, what, um, this is what they're saying in Hamlet's Mill is that this, this melancholic um, archetype of Hamlet or Amleth is, is tapping back into the golden age. He's, uh, they describe him as, as the once and future king which is in, just a mind blower, right? And so, so the purpose of Hamlet, right, is to, is to bring time back into joint, like time's out of joint, um, and that's the Philip K. Dick novel, right? But, but Hamlet's task is to bring it back into alignment because everything has been broken because of the um, uncle killing his, fa- killing his brother and then marrying his own sister or sister-in-law. Um, so murder and incest at the, at the highest level, right? Like at, at, the, at the level of the sovereign. And that puts everything out of joint. And so Hamlet's role as an archetype is to put, it, is to, is to put time right again, you know? He died for your sins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because the... Th- in 2010, I was really sinking on Hamlet, but the things that I was really noticing were more of the, like the ancient mythological references. So like, I think Her- Hercules is mentioned maybe as many as three or four times in the play. 
Maybe oh, yeah. there's the Nemean lion. Mm, I mean, yeah, there, yeah. there's a number of the different tasks that Hamlet is undertaking. Um, oh yeah, and that reminds me of Hamlet's always trotted out as there was a there was a Jungian book that was trying to uh, break. You know, it's it's kind of like a different stages of consciousness and how uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be able to pull it out of my mind but that um he used three different types of literature to show like this this evolution of thought through the ages i don't know if it's that simple but it is it was interesting sorry yeah, just just to read the small paragraph in Hamlet's Mill about this. this is, um, Yet in all his guises, he remains strangely himself. It's talking about in Hamlet. The original Amlodi, as his name was in Icelandic legend, shows the same characteristics of melancholy and high intellect. He, too, is a son dedicated to avenge his father, a speaker of cryptic but inescapable truths, an elusive carrier of fate who must yield once his mission is accomplished and sink once more into concealment in the depths of time to which he belongs. Lord of the golden age, the once and future king. Like, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. What do you make of that? Like, so, so um, then the idea, like you could help me with this, SJ, the idea behind it is um, at some point, in the past and they referenced um they referenced this even in the last man if you remember doug of of a of a time of perpetual springtime right when when the uh sometime in the past when the uh the pole directly lined up with the ecliptic right and so it, it, and so at a certain uh latitude on earth it was perpetual the the seasons didn't change. Well, the seasons didn't change anywhere. It's like a, at the at the equator, it would be like hot summer all the time. At the poles, would be freezing winter all the time. But there would be this certain band in the temperate zone, which would be perpetual springtime, right? And that was the golden age. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure about, I mean, you know, I haven't, there's a lot of different theories about even Saturn was like a sun at one point. It literally was a sun and then it burned away and like the farther back you go with like these kind of um, material reality being different and the you know kaijia and all this stuff i tend to i tend to turn down the likelihood of it just because we can't i mean it just seems like it's who knows you know but um, yeah no, i'm not even talking about if it's like scientifically true it's just that is the uh okay, okay. that was the thinking right like and, and um do you remember that part, Doug, in uh, in the Last Man, where the uh, the astronomer character is talking about that? He's going on about that a lot. Don't remember that part. Yeah, it was it was a part like a um, yeah the, the sort of royal astronomer or something, and he was he he was so in, like he's a classic melancholic like he was he was uh, ignoring all this plague that's going on all over the all over the world all over the society people dying everywhere. And, and he's still obsessed with his uh, uh, astronomical theories, right? And he sounds was like uh, William Blake, or, or no, sorry, it sounds like Isaac Newton, because he, they, you know, during the plague of 1666, 1667, 
uh, was apparently, you know, came up with invented calculus. That was the meme during the COVID lockdowns. It's like, hey, Isaac Newton invented calculus. What are you going to do? And your government <laughs> shuts down your your whole life. You know, <laughs> peon. Isaac, you know, <laughs> just kidding. Isaac, Isaac Newton didn't have Netflix, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I just want to come back to this idea of like Hamlet as Christ. I think that's really interesting. Um, the idea of avenging, because even in the Jesus writings, like there's like my father, there's kind of a vengeance here. Like I'm here for my father and me and my father are going to like fucking take you out, motherfucker. There's, there's a kind of right, right. part of Jesus where it's like, yeah, you know, you, def you defamed my father, you kind of blasphemy against my father and I'm here to, you know, turn your, your tables over money changers and kind of return order, return order, you know? I mean, that's, that is a theme of the Jesus uh, story in the New Testament. It's like, I'm here to return the true God, right? The true son, the true, uh, and, and bringing that truth to a system of lies or to an institutional kind of structure that is lies. And so that's really interesting to see Hamlet in that light. Yeah, even, even drinking of the cup, you know, like you have the, the drinking of the cup of poison, which is wine in Hamlet as well. You know, it's like a, you drink the cup in mass to share the blood of Christ. Mm. Um, Which is Mithric. That's what I was learning in these videos. The myth, Mithraeus, it was you drink the blood of the bull that Mithras mm -hmm. killed. And it was his that, blood thing. And that gets, that gets us to uh, the recognitions, right? Yeah. Which is, yeah. I know. I, I, yeah. It's such a, uh, it, taps into something huge you know like this this is something that uh t.s Eliot talked about with hamlet is that uh what did you say it's like uh um yeah he points out that hamlet as a work of art struggles with ma with a mass of highly pressurized obscure material that can't be dragged into the plot um more than hamlet as a character or shakespeare are even aware of you know like he, he he's tapping into such deep currents um, and it, and it's part of part of the reason why it's like, uh, yeah, the, Harold Bloom calls it like the the best work in Western literature, in in all of literature, in English literature, and then all of he, he he's he's almost convinced it's all of literature, you know, but but definitely number one in in uh, in English literature. I I like um, the idea. Let's see, what was I going to just say there the, of Hamlet. Um, Oh, how simple the plot is, really. I mean, all great drama. It's, yes. just pretty, yeah. it's just distilled to one idea. You have a character, you have an event, and then that event drives the motivation to the end. And it's like, it's a simple revenge story, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's, I mean, it's, and you don't get as simple as that, you know? And so um, I like how you can kind of start, and that's maybe where it gets fundamental as well, um, because we've all been wronged. You know, and we've all had our, 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 you know, there are grieves, but I think, I think this is another thing I wanted to say is that, you know, think about being incarnated into the human form. Mm -hmm. um, and Dylan has a line, you know, born here and I'll die here against my will. Um, and uh, the idea that when you incarnate, it's like, I think there is a sense of being out of joint as a human being in incarnated into a human body. And so you're then you're here and you become an adult and you're like, what the fuck, you know, why, who put right, me right. here? 
Um, and then, and then life itself becomes a revenge story of trying to get back to, you know, the source you might say, and that's what spiritual traditions are. It's like, you know, um, and then it's, and you're fighting the false constructions of people that are like locked in Maya. And, you know, so I think there's something there. Too. Yeah. That, um, I'm just so excited what you're saying. It's like, uh, the whole Gnostic story. Right. And so you have, you have the true God, right. Who's sort of, um, off somewhere like the, yeah. the ghost ghostly. And then you yeah. have the usurper who's the, the head of the archons, right. Like yes. the demiurge, right. Who's the uncle who, who yeah. overthrows, who overthrows the, the true God <laughs> apparently. And so we're trapped in, in this, uh, in this false world. Right. Well, and Sophia, and then, you know, she's, and the, yeah, yeah, Sophia and Christ. Yeah. So you have Sophia as Ophelia and then, and then uh, Christ as Hamlet coming in to, to restore order to, to show that uh, we do have the spark of the true God in all of us. Right. Even Sophia as the, uh, the mother and how she's kind of with Hamlet at times. And then with the King at times, I mean, that's so the Sophianic because when you read the Gnostic texts, there's sometimes Sophia is more aligned with the Christ and the Pleroma and her true father. But then sometimes there's sympathies with her, her son, which mm. is the archonic demiurge. And maybe that's even the incestual stuff. I mean, you're getting into that now. Well, that's, um, that's some, um, uh, you, do you guys know Ted Hughes is a, is yeah. a poet from, from, from Britain. He's got this book called uh, Shakespeare and the goddess of complete being. And that's his wow. idea is that, that, that uh, um, Hamlet is using the same myth, which is, a myth that comes up early in his, I think it's one of his sonnets called Venus and Adonis, like the story of, uh, mm -hmm. story of Adonis um, getting together with the, the goddess of love. Right. And, and, but that story goes deep, deep, deep way back into the, the Sumerian um, myth of, uh, of uh, Anana. Anana. Anana and, and Dazumi. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, which is Tamas and, and Ishtar also. Right. Uh -huh. Um and so that whole that whole idea, like what you're saying, is that uh, Hughes's take on Hamlet is exactly what you're saying. Is like Ophelia and Gertrude, his lover and his mother, yeah. are facets of the same goddess. You know, it's yeah. facets of the same goddess. And then and then uh, Hamlet is this Adonis figure, right? Mm. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, Sylvia Plath's husband, by the way, and she right. Yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. Tragedy. I mean, it's I kind know, of what, Ophelionic he, there. I, I'm sure he mind fucked her. Right? Like that's, um... yeah. I mean, that's part. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that's a part of when I watched it. I was so sad for Ophelia because she gets really gas. I mean, gaslit, mind fucked. She's kind of maybe the main one of the major victims uh, in right. my view of this. Um, um, but yeah, that's that's clearly my like. I just want to say this idea of tapping into the previous story, tapping into the previous story. Um, it relates to what we were talking about at the beginning, but I've been seeing a lot online and I don't know what you think about this, Doug, because this is kind of like contemporary, like leftist or liberal kind of discourse of um, cultural appropriation. And I like recently on my Twitter feed, people were talking about how, um, you know, cult, the cultural appropriation of the Kabbalah from the Jews. And of course, we're getting back into one of our other favorite topics, which is Jewishness and Jewish Judaism. But, you know, when you really look at Judaism, that was just a cultural appropriation. It's very young, 
first of all, it's not that old. Um, uh, and second of all, it's pulling from those Sumerian myths, you know, and yeah. so there's this kind of chain of appropriation that goes all the way back that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm in the camp of like, um, we need to remix and, and, and DJ and just kind of open things up as opposed yeah, to trying to absolutely. defend and, and then accuse. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, yeah, even the, like the Kabbalah, you could, um, uh, so the, the, the 10 Sephiroth go right back to the Pythagorean, Pythagorean uh, yeah. Tetractus, and that yeah. goes back to the Egyptian Ennead, you know, like the, uh, the yeah. nine gods plus the, uh, the, the sort of one god beyond that, you know, it's like, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's deep, like all, all of this stuff, it's like it, you, you start getting into it and it, it all goes back to primordial times, basically, you know, it's like, um, yeah, and this, this is this is why, uh, yeah, something, some play like Hamlet. You know, it's just it's like pure literature, and but it's it's it. The reason why it's pure literature is because it taps so deeply into these older myths. You know, I always come back to the the animating story. So, like, if uh, if we have an archonic cosmology it seems like it's it's um the messiah comes through the literature like i don't know if there's really a physical messiah <laughs> well if it's if it's a ghost right <laughs> a, a ghost isn't a physical messiah either or the holy ghost you know like, well, sure. If the, they're transmitting the the word like, of God, the the logos. So is that what literature does? Yeah, that's what Philip K. Dick thought, right? Um, that that's when uh, when the Dead Sea Scrolls um, and and the Gnostic writings were were discovered just after World War II. It's like um, the logos is becoming real and in, in in this world. You know, it's it it. It re-entered the world through the text and through the text being translated and then disseminated and uh, and so so this discussion right now that we're having based on all that stuff before like Dick and, and all these other uh, weirdos that we were influenced by is it, we are helping to um, unmask the zebra you know <laughs> <laughs> or like it's just you have to you have to spin the maypole. Like there's you just it's the activity of existence. Yeah, that's a good yeah. me the first uh, metaphor. Yeah, that's what I think of. I mean, we're talking about something that's embedded in the consciousness, or what I think of is it's we're in a matrix. I believe, I mean, well, I believe is a strong word, but I'm certainly open to the idea that we have incarnated in some kind of digital matrix or projection of some kind that Rodney Asher film. Did you guys see that? His last film really good. No, it's about the matrix and it's about um, the idea of living in a simulation, but there's evidence that there's some kind of code here that, you know, and we've, we've incarnated into this, this matrix. And I think that that's what it is. Once you're here, there's no escaping these, the, the code, right. That's underlying at least partially what we're, what we're here in. 
And so the code is going to reappear and reassert. And it's just everywhere, you know, and um, that maybe the Messiah is, uh, I don't know, in that context might be re the realization that there's something else that, that we are in the matrix, this matrix. And there's other parts of us that come from another place that might be Gnostic in that way. But um, yeah. I'm just thinking this, the, the, this particular conversation is, is it's almost like a, like if you consider when when we're doing this well Pergus knocked it's like it, it's it's the hinge of the world right like it's a, it's the hinge of the year along with Halloween it's directly opposite Halloween right and th this was one of the most like the most potent time of the year to where the the the, the sort of barriers between the world be, are at their thinnest you know it's like uh the conversation is kind of creeping me out in a way, <laughs> you know, like, what are we like, especially talking about ghosts, you know, like, a, a, like, what are, what are we uh, invoking right now, discussing all this stuff, you know, like, a, at this time of year, you know, exactly. <laughs> well, when there's a potent solar eclipse that just happened hours before this. So <laughs> yeah. that's, a, it's a, it's an epic eclipse. That's a very rare conjunction of Venus and Jupiter in the same degree ruling the eclipse. I mean, there's a whole, I won't, I won't dive into it too deeply, but this is the most potent time of a year as well. Two times during the year you have these eclipses and, and this is the kind of the eclipse it's on. What's the name of the, the pagan it's uh, there's, I've been seeing it online, but basically Mayday. Um, oh, Beltane. Beltane, Beltane. So it's like yeah. Beltane, it's the solar eclipse. It's right. There's a whole host of things that are going on right now. That's why when Doug was like, what about the 30th? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's do it. No, no, it, it's perfect too, because the last one we did was Ulysses. And we did, wow, we didn't, did we do that right on February 2nd? We, it wasn't quite, no, it wasn't quite. It was on before, we had to do it before so that it would come out on. So I think we did it on like the 29th. Yeah. I ended up uh, dropping acid on the on the second and going off and. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Tell us the, about it. What the fuck? The, How much the, did you the, take? On the hundredth year, hundredth uh, year anniversary of uh, of uh, Ulysses. Well, I had a I had a gum drop. I don't know how much acid was on it, but I, I was I got it sent it. But uh, um, was it yeah. was it potent? I mean, were you were you like really tripping balls, or was it just kind of a mild? Oh no, I was fully tripping. Like it okay. was, wow. yeah, it, it, things weren't uh, like it's it's daytime tripping, so it wasn't as as hallucinogenic. But if I if I would focus on anything in the woods, it would all start to flower all around and stuff. But uh -huh. but it was more it was more an inner trip, and I and, and I was thinking at that time, I my focus with the trip is to see the sun be behind the sun, you know, like oh, that, wow. that was the, the, the experience that, you know, and, the, and I sort of did, like, I got a glimpse of that, you know, uh -huh. um, he's a day tripper. Uh, you hear that. Yeah, Beatles song. <laughs> <laughs> One way ticket. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was in the, uh, I was in the forest most of the time. And then I went down to the ocean. You just tricked me with the idea of the sheltering sky, the sun beyond the sun, the, mm -hmm. Mm. the black star yeah 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 but that's yeah in, in platonic or neoplatonic philosophy that was that's the whole goal in a sense is to uh witness the world as the sun because everything in every the sun provides light to the world right but uh the sun beyond the sun provides noetic light to the world right like this mm -hmm. this sort of like higher sense of things where you actually see the forms of things um um, and that, that was sort of my goal. Like, 
<laughs> very <laughs> modest school <laughs> on on uh it was such a potent day right like that's like february 2nd itself is potent it's another one of the uh those cross quarterly days um but then then it being joyce's birthday and then it being the 100th anniversary of ulysses which is like uh, it was like a mind blower i couldn't pass it up you know Especially given your some of your your work and the stuff you've spent a lot of time writing and thinking about, so that's yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, can, I can totally see see that. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's it's perfect now that we're meeting at exactly the next click. Well, I guess yeah, the next cross quarterly click. Like we're missing the uh, we're missing the equinox, right? But the equinox comes uh, directly between these those two dates, you know. Um, Mm-hmm. So all, all of these are pagan festivals. <laughs> uh, well, and we can't yeah. help but celebrate the pagan festivals. <laughs> but then, yeah, so they're Christian festivals too. There's just the, the Christians sort of layered on top of the, the pagan stuff, yeah. you know, it's like a, in the same way that they construct churches on the, on the top of Mithraic and other te- even more ancient temples. Easter, it's Ramadan here, so they've got Monday's Ramadan. It's the and I, I don't know how they measure that, but it's the final day of Ramadan where people break their fasts on on Monday. Yeah, it's moon it's moon cycle too, right? Like a, it's a solar lunar thing. It's got, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Be, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's I, what I was just going to say just quickly that like. This is what we're talking about. If you're building in the astrology world, this is is what we always go back to, at least some of us when we describe like people like, well, it's not real. Where does it come from? Well, all it does is just observation, observing nature. That's all it is. I mean, you can mm-hmm. build mm-hmm. all of everything is built on observations of the movement that we're in. It's it's like actually as simple as that. You know, yeah, the, pass- get- the, the passing of the seasons, right? Like, and just yeah. seeing how everything, single thing changes like a new flower blooms like japan especially is really conscious of that everybody in the society is like the like cherry blossoms is the is the the obvious thing right but Mm -hmm. before cherry blossoms there's plum blossoms and then there's other blossoms soon we're coming into ajisai season which is the hydrangeas Um, and everybody is so focused on these little little indicators of how the seasons are changing and it's just in it and it's amazing like uh, um yeah no I, I i totally agree all all you need to do is pay attention to the the, the passing of the seasons in in nature yeah. yeah the movement of the sun i mean if you pay yeah. close attention it goes left and then it goes right you know in terms of where it you know um where it rises you know and so there's just all these subtle and you just note, you pay attention, you note it, and then you can build whole theories. Everything's embedded in that. And um, so, um, yeah. 